Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. My name is Kirk Reed. I'm one of the financial advisors at McNamara Financial, located in Marshfield and also the Merrimack Valley. I always forget to say that, but I remember today, so I must have slept well. So today's topic, we have a guest in the studio. So good morning to Bernadette Faulkner. Good morning. Good morning, Kirk. Nice to be here. It's been a while. It has been a while. Great to have you. So the top today is long-term care insurance. That is what, or one of the things that Bernadette specializes in, and you can share that in a second. I was thinking about thinking about this today, and one of the, we have a sheet that we send out to, to new or potential clients with a questionnaire asking all types of financial questions. What do you have for this, that, the other thing, assets, debts? And then one of the questions is, would you like to protect your assets from from a potential nursing home care or things like that? And it's just, it's a simple yes, no, check the box. And of course, everybody checks yes. And then, then the question is, how do you do that? And so one, one of the primary ways to do that is to purchase insurance. And so that's, so that's what we're going to talk about. So yeah, so now I'll give you a minute, Bernadette, you to talk about yourself and your, your business. I know you do other, some other insurances as well, and you can mention those. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So thank you, Bernadette Faulkner. I have a small business, Faulkner Insurance Advisory. I focus on life insurance and long-term care planning, which is certainly my specialty is the insurance area of it, but it's a bigger topic and just generally planning for long-term care. My background was for 15, 20 years in financial services with places like Fidelity, and I moved over to the area of insurance and long-term care in particular. Actually, after, because I wanted a career change and to have my own business, but also after a personal experience with it, with my parents. So we can talk about that more later, but I typically meet clients when financial advisors like Kirk and McNamara Financial and others refer them to me and or when people have an experience with long-term care with parents or friends or they, they see people trying to deal with the finances around paying for care, etc. That is when I get calls from people who want to sit down and learn. And I spend most of my time, in fact, educating people about it. If we get as far down the path as considering insurance, then, then you know, we focus specifically on people's needs there. And I will share with you that we're going to spend the first part of this show, I think, Kirk, talking about the general education around this on long-term care planning, which is really part of retirement planning. And the second half, we won't even get to the insurance specifics till the second half. We're going to have someone else join us then, one of my colleagues, Matt Anderson. So there you go. Yeah, I think long-term care insurance is one of those topics that most people have heard of, but they don't know a lot about it until they 
really they get to a certain age or they have a certain experience that maybe pushes them that way. And I, typically when I mention it to somebody as a something to think about or a possibility, usually the comment is, I've heard that, it, that it's expensive. Expensive. Absolutely. Right? About, that's a, that is that, 100% of the reaction. That's about all they know or all they think they know. Yeah. And we could talk about how that's a, a relative term as far as what it costs versus what you get. And we can talk about that either this part or maybe that's a Matt, a Matt piece when he's on later. Because I know if you do the math as far as what you put in versus what you get out, there is there is return there. And it, is it expensive? Yeah, that's a relative, that's a relative term. Sometimes we will show people... Like in, if we're doing a financial plan for them, we'll say, okay, if the insurance is X number of dollars, but if it can potentially protect your portfolio to pass it on to your heirs, if that's if that's something that's important to you, what percentage of your portfolio does it cost? And do we, so we look at it that way, just to provide some perspective. If the premiums are one percent of your portfolio or two percent of your portfolio, is it worth that to protect the other ninety nine or ninety eight percent? So it's all relative, and it's all about the way you think about it and present it. So I know you mentioned personal experience. So I thought, yeah, maybe that would be something we could start with, or that's because that is a way. That's how a lot of people get. get pushed into this or start to think about it. Absolutely. And really, either their advisors say you really need to look at this and strongly recommend getting educated and or someone has a personal experience with it. Mine was with my parents. My father had a short illness. My mother took care of him. That's what happens. Family takes care of family. And when her time came and she had needed care, it was a much longer length of time that she needed care. I was helping her manage her money. And I had some very good advice early on after my father passed away and my mother was still healthy from number one my sister who's in the medical profession and from a friend who had been very involved in her own parents care they said you should look into long-term care insurance what what is it did my own research found out about it fortunately walked my mother down the path and helped her get the insurance in fact when she needed care it turned out to be almost five years of care we used every penny of the insurance and more of our own savings, but it really was a financial lifesaver for her and a lot of peace of mind. So my my awareness, my awareness of the need was very heightened and it made my commitment to helping people with it much more real. So when I sit down with clients, it's the first thing I ask them. Tell me about why you're here, who sent you here. Some come reluctantly. And tell me about what, what your experience is. What's happened with your parents? Do you have friends that have had to help family, et cetera, with long-term care planning? You know, what's your story? And everyone has some experience with it. If I asked you, Kirk, I'm sure you'd your parents, your friends, your I'll ask you. Yeah. My I'm fortunate enough that I haven't had too many too many people pass away or on that end of a life spectrum where they've had to deal with that. I my father in law has insurance because he, his idea was that I could, he can afford it and he knew that it would help protect help protect assets if he ever needed care down the road. But I honestly yeah I, I'm of the age where I'm not quite there yet where I'm not thinking about it personally Personally, I'm not quite there. Most of the time I see it clients because a lot of our clients are retirees or getting close to retirement for the most part. That's the bulk of them. And they've had those experiences with their family members. I have I've had family clients where they've had people come in and care provided at the house, which I think is a great experience for most people. Most Uh, people want that for sure. If you ask them, number one, I want to stay at home. Right. So that's something that, you know, that this can provide or obviously care and care in a facility where there's custodial care. And that can be a good or a bad experience. I've heard both things and it just depends. And that's, that's again where 
if you have the money or the insurance, that gives you some flexibility as far as what do you do? Control what, 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 yes, over control. your destiny, really. Yes. The ex- yeah. Yes, and I think that's why you have to, you have to present it that way to folks when they're saying, should I get it or should I look into it? And it just depends on their what are your priorities. Yeah. So one, the next one of the other things that you had mentioned was who needs care or who, what, why what? should I pay attention to this? Right. What are the odds? Yeah. Really? Who, who are the people that? Yeah. Who are the people that should be thinking about it and, and why? I yeah, know. I ask people to envision how their life might unfold regarding this. And it I really do position it, and I think it's important to position it as part of retirement planning. It's one chunk of it. You need to have a plan about how you're, where you're gonna be cared for and by whom, that's huge, and how you're gonna pay for it as part of your retirement planning. Have a plan, put it aside, and know that you're covered and you can share that with your family. When I ask folks, what's your number one reason for sitting down with me to try to focus on maybe putting the risk somewhere else on an insurance company, they say, I don't wanna be a burden on my wife, on my husband, on my kids. Mm -hmm. That is the number one. They don't right away mention money. It's very much related to money, but they say, I don't wanna be a burden. And that means in both a financial and a personal way, if you, need to have a family member take care of you, it is a significant commitment from that family member. And then the second thing they say is financial. I don't want my savings to go to pay a nursing home. And in fact, nursing homes are not the only place people spend money on care, but that's what comes into people's heads immediately. So what's the reality? What's the likelihood that you will need care? Pretty consistent statistics from everyone, from the federal government, from the insurance companies, from the financial planners. Anyone that's looked into this and it's been tracked for decades, it's a pretty standard statistic that close to at least 60% of over 65 today, at least 60, somewhere between 60 and 65% will need some kind of care by a third party. They're going to have some kind of a physical or cognitive decline that's going to require someone taking care of them, helping them out, at least at the beginning, helping them out and eventually maybe really significant care. So that's a big number, 60 to 70% of people. No surprise, it's more women on the percentages. It can be close to 75% of women and more like 55 to 60% for men. Why is that? Men don't live as long. And why is that, Bernadette? And and they tend to have a shorter decline and they are usually being cared for by a spouse. And so, again, I could bury you in statistics that don't really sound like fun, but in nursing homes, 75 to 80% of people in nursing homes are women. They're they're older, they're widowed or single, they've taken care of a spouse, et cetera, and they're on their own. The other statistic, you have to get your head around some of this to even start planning for care because the end of the line is how much might it cost. You have to know how much you might need. These are all averages. Women, typically, once they start needing some help, it's three and a half to four years of that help usually increasing over time and for men it's two years two years plus so when you put those numbers together what are my odds and how long might the care be the other third piece of it is how much does it cost and then you can wrap your head around gee I really need to be thinking about potentially needing those kind of dollars for care later in my life yeah I I was just I had a question for you and I am hoping you can give some kind of an answer, even if it's generic in nature. If you had a 
let's say you have a husband and wife come to you and thinking about these statistics that we just talked about, odds of a woman being more likely needing the care and for a longer period of time. And if maybe maybe they're thinking about, do we each get a policy or is it better to just get a policy for the woman because the, the odds are more likely that she would use it? Do you have, do you have a reaction to that? Or? There's so many factors and questions I would ask someone in the planning process that I don't have a simple answer for that. I do, I do know how to design policies that cover. So if we're going down the path of insurance, and there's other ways to pay for care, but if we're going down the path of of insurance, insurance is about risk. You're switching the risk from your portfolio, paying it out of your own pocket to the insurance company. I can do some really good guidance to to significantly lower your risk and minimize your costs. That's the best way to say it. If you we're jumping into sort of insurance in itself now, but if you're talking about, you know, should the man get it? Should the woman get it? Should they both get it? Should they? It's a little risky to have just one party. Some of it depends on people's health. Sometimes there's a much higher risk of one person in reality needing it. You can get policies that are shared so that you can share assets. That's that's a way to, to look at it. It does need to be customized to the person, so not an easy answer. How, and just because you mentioned this, about health. Could you maybe talk about that for a little bit as far as who, what types of people might qualify for a policy versus versus what might disqualify somebody from a policy? And I know there's it's a, that's a very broad thing, but just because I think I don't think people maybe understand that or know what the what some of the possible things are. Generally, I would say you need th- you're getting private insurance and you could look at it like getting life insurance. You should be getting it when you're relatively healthy. Number one, the premiums are going to be lower. And number two, if you're already in a, what I'm calling a decline, if you're already sick, if you've already had a diagnosis, you can't get the insurance. These are private insurance companies. They they insure based on health risk. And you can't, it's saying, I don't need health insurance until I think I'm going to need heart surgery. Then I'm going to go out and get the health insurance. That's not how it works. And if you can frame it like health insurance or like car insurance, I'm not going to get auto insurance until the winter because (laughs) there's a higher risk of me having an accident. That's not how insurance operates. You have it as a security blanket and you can't get something like long-term care insurance if you've already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or something. Having said that, you certainly can have health issues. You don't have to be super healthy. People, if you have, if you're cancer, all sorts of things, they'll still, you can still get insurance for long-term care. Yeah, that's what, that's what I find interesting or surprising is the things that that don't disqualify folks from getting the insurance. Even if, maybe if you've had perhaps a cancer diagnosis in the past, but you've been free and clear, so to speak, for X number of years, they would still Absolutely. perhaps sell you a policy. Absolutely. Absolutely. The simple answer is you should really, I would say across the board, you should always talk to someone who's a specialist in this and who doesn't work directly for an insurance company and tell them your own personal health history and financial needs, et cetera. And you should have a policy and or a recommendation for a policy or a plan or an approach customized to you. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's, and I think, and another thing is that 
even if perhaps maybe you initially maybe get declined, you could perhaps over time apply again and maybe get qualified the next time. Oh, sure. I've guided clients through some health improvements so that they can get insurance where they might have been declined the first time. Also, again, the colleague, Matt Anderson, who's coming on in the second half, is an expert in the insurance world with all of the carriers, the insurance underwriters. And we go to different companies depending on your health history because different companies have different guidelines as to what they will insure. So some of it is finding the right type of plan and the right underwriter. And the other is absolutely, you can have health improvements and people who have recovered from cancer get insurance all the time. Yeah, I think that's, they find it interesting. That's the way, that's well, the way it works. Yeah. yeah, insurance is about risk and these are private companies and they know the risk involved and what they're, the biggest risk, quote unquote, to an insurance company around long-term care is insuring someone who's very close to having a very long disease that They might need care. For instance, the big one is Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's from, usually people don't get diagnosed till they're well into two years into an Alzheimer's disease. And usually the entire breadth of it is eight to to 11 years. For an insurance company, that's a very expensive decline. Sure. That's a tough, you know, so if you have an Alzheimer's diagnosis, you're not going to be offered insurance after that. It's going to be an exclusion, yeah. All right, we're, it's about time to take a break. And you're listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Kirk Reed. Joined this morning by Bernadette Faulkner, talking about long-term care insurance. Bernadette, maybe just you yeah, have just a second if you want to give out your contact info or phone number. Yeah, Faulkner Insurance Advisory. You could reach me at 781-856-7694. I'm, everyone's probably not sitting with a pen in their hand. You could call the station. And Kirk has graciously said that I can suggest you call McNamara Financial to get my contact information. Be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. You're listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Kirk Reed. I'm one of the financial advisors at McNamara Financial. We have offices in Marshfield and also in the Merrimack Valley. Today, I am joined in the studio by Bernadette Faulkner, and we have been talking about long-term care insurance. Now, right before the break, Bernadette, I, you were giving out your contact info, so maybe I'll give you a, a second to do that again, just because you got cut off a little bit. Sure. So if you wanted to call me, 781 Five six seven six nine four. If you didn't get that number, you certainly could call McNamara Financial and ask for my contact number. There's seven eight one eight three four two zero one zero. I don't work for McNamara Financial. We have no affiliation. Thank you They're for that. happy to pass along <laughs> my phone number to you. Yes, we have no we have no financial linkages whatsoever. And now your office technically is in Cohasset. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I'm an independent agent advisor. Yes. Y- yeah. And I so wa- I don't represent any insurance companies. I work with all of them. I meant to mention that during the first half when you were talking about your business because that that is that's critical it, actually. It, it, yeah, it's very important. It's important to us. That's the way we, we operate our business. 
business. We're an independent. We don't work for any particular company. We can choose all of our own investments, things like that. And so, yeah, we always think that anybody else that we refer somebody to, that should be part of the way that they their business operates as well. And, it, and that, that is critically important in the insurance world because there are a lot of underwriters and people's particular situations should be matched to the right company. You, you mentioned that in the first segment, too, about just from a health health perspective, there are different companies that, that view candidates differently. And so that's great that you have that ability to shop around and try to find a good match. Or you make the first application the right one to the right company. Yeah. Because it is, yeah, the application process, we could probably spend I, a long time an hour talking about the application because that is... I mentioned my experience with my mother. She was declined twice. I wasn't an expert then. I am now. But the first two companies we approached declined her and I'm glad I didn't give up the third one insured her yeah that's yeah that's a good good piece of information I, I was going to ask you also about when you're working with somebody and they get declined you know what I think a lot of people take that personally or at least that's the way I would you know well, what, it's a big disappointment no one goes through this process and opens up their history and their medical records it, Yes, I do my, I have gone back to insurance companies and clarified information, gotten additional information, given my client's guidance and had the decision changed and or we might switch to another insurer, another underwriter. I can't always guarantee people will get insurance, but there are choices and options. We don't give up the first time. Sure. And that's, I mean, that's obviously a good plug for for working with somebody like yourself is that because somebody on their own probably wouldn't, they wouldn't know how to do that or how, how to advocate for themselves or what their other options are. And honestly, there's no advantage to working on your own financially. You're not going to get a, a lower premium, et cetera. You're always better working with an agent, an advisor who can be your intermediary with the company. They represent you to the company. It's like having your own lawyer represent you to the company. Okay. So I think we were going to talk about how, different ways that care could be provided. Yeah, so Kirk and I just brainstormed a little bit in the break and we, when we, before, we broke, we talked about the odds of you needing care. They're high. They're 50, 60, 70% for everybody. If you're over 65, you should be planning on it. It should be part of your retirement plan. So I really do ask people very directly, how do you, if you need care, how do you imagine it happening? What's your dream scenario? And it's not just, it's number one, who's going to take care of you? Is it your family? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? What's what's your dream scenario and or what's reality? Are your kids really prepared to participate in taking care of you. Number two, where do you want it to happen? Most people say, I want to stay home as long as possible. Some people say, I'd be happy to be in an, in a what assisted living, independent living facility and some kind of communal living. Most people want to stay home as long as possible. But I, it's important to imagine it before you can plan it. And then thirdly, how do you want to pay for it? And then we get into the finances and what it costs and you know how it's going to impact their portfolio, their savings. There's sort of four ways to get care. The first is family. Usually that doesn't have a financial cost. It might have an emotional cost, but not a financial. The second place people look is the government. And by that, Medicare and Medicaid. A lot of confusion with people about what is covered with Medicare and Medicaid. And I think that's, you should be really well grounded in that before you look any further into your own portfolio or into insurance. So Medicare, the simple kind of black and white of Medicare, which almost everybody over 65 is insured under, is that they don't pay 
anything for any long-term care. Medicare does, does not, not pay, pay anything. anything. Yep. About half the people in this country think Medicare does participate in paying. They do not. Neither does Medicare nor any supplement you have, any Medigap plan you have, etc. What Medicare will pay for is that they will pay for rehab care, rehabilitation care. Sometimes that's actually in your home. Sometimes it's in a facility. Sometimes it's in a nursing home and a rehab, etc. If you have had some kind of a medical event and you and the expectation is that you are going to get better improve medicare will pay up to 100 days of care they won't pay more than 100 the first 20 days are 100 percent covered and after day 21 to 100 there's a co-pay of about 200 a day you can get insurance to cover that too but medicare will pay let's call it three months let's call 100 days three months they will pay for three months of rehab care you need to be getting better. As soon as you plateau, which is on average about day 20 to 25, when you look at Medicare stats, they stop paying. So long-term care is considered custodial. They use words that sometimes are hard to hear, but rehabilitative care means you're getting better. That's a medical term. Custodial care means you need caretaking, you're not getting better. Medicare doesn't pay for any of it. Medicaid, however, does. And about close to... More than 40% of Medicaid dollars go to pay long-term care for people. It's a, a huge part of the Medicaid budget. And that's because the majority of people in the United States don't have savings. So you have to qualify for Medicaid. So are you, can you talk about that? Like as far Absolutely. as, yeah. So Medicare is, that's, that's your health insurance if you're 65 and older or, or, or in certain other uh, circumstances. And as we just said, that does. And you've worked a certain amount, paid into the system, a certain amount of months. It's 10 years, actually. I think it's around 10 years. If you've worked and paid into the Medicare system, when you hit 65, you qualify for Medicare. But, uh, okay, so as you just discussed, that does not. Pay for a penny. It doesn't cover for long-term care, nor does nor does a supplement. Um, no. So, now, so then the next, so then the next possibility is Medicaid, which is a completely different animal. And it's for the indigent, for the poor, for people who have no savings, no money. Yeah. So if you, so if your plan, okay, so if you say, okay, I'm going to rely on Medicaid to pay for my long-term care. What can you talk about? Some of the details or specifics as far as what. What qualifies someone to be eligible for Medicaid? Sure. Again, it's intended for the term they use is indigent, people with no finances. So you can only have $2,000 or less in savings to qualify for Medicaid. So it's basically nothing. It's nothing. You have to, it's basically nothing, $2,000 or less. If you have savings before you can apply and be approved for Medicaid to pay for any health care, including long-term care, you have to spend it down to $2,000 in savings. If you're married and one one of the in the couple needs long-term care, again, you need to spend down all your savings, including retirement savings. A spouse needs to also spend down their savings down to $130,000. So if you're in a couple, Medicaid does formula, mm-hmm. and it says, okay, you're the person in the couple that, that needs care. All Anything that's in your name needs to be spent down to $2,000, and your spouse also needs to spend down their retirement savings, et cetera, to a max of 130000 and you can, and 
that's the threshold that you can get accepted into Medicaid. And then they will pay 100% for your long-term care. They control where you receive the care. Yeah, I think that's a critical piece. Yep. Yeah, they are getting a little more open to providing payment for care in people's homes. But for the most part, most of their dollars are spent in nursing homes. So most people do go to a nursing home for care if they are covered by Medicaid. It's a different level of care in nursing homes, and that's a whole other conversation, but nursing homes have a certain number of Medicaid beds. You tend to, you have less control over your care if the government is paying the bill. Can you, could you talk about if, if so if you're going the Medicaid route and you do, and, they, and you end up in a facility or a nursing home or a, geographically, could you end up far away from where, from where you live or like how do they match you or where, how do they position you. You usually work with social workers, etc. There's a whole safety net network of people that will help sort out the where. Nursing homes are every higher concentrations in some areas. Nursing homes tend to have or they do have dedicated beds that for Medicaid patients. So you need to find a facility, either you or working with a social worker, et cetera. Sometimes it's a senior center. There's a lot of facilities and organizations that will help place people who need care and you need to find a nursing home that has a Medicaid available space. Yeah, that's because it doesn't mean that they're going to move you to another state or something. No, it's not that draconian. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't. No, it's ex- definitely I, yeah, not. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like anything in life, the more family members involved to help, probably the better the outcome. So if you have family, if you're going down the path, whether it's private pay or Medicaid, if you have family members, spouse, children, et cetera, who are looking out for you, helping make decisions, helping screen things, you're going to have a better outcome. So again, back to that, who is going to provide the care? This usually is a good conversation to have with your spouse, with your kids, with your siblings, with your friends before the need happens. It's not just about money. There's just, there's a pretty significant role people need to play in just managing the care. Just like anything else, open lines of communication goes a long way. Yeah, planning. I always think you sleep so much better at night if you just make a plan and then put it in the vault, put it in the safe. And you may never need to access it, but when it's when if it's there, it's ready to go when you need it. Have the conversation with your spouse, with your kids, etc. I tell you, to a person, when people really think about it, they don't want to ask their children to help with care. What does happen and really needs to happen is that usually your kids are involved in managing your care. They might not be paying for it. They might not be doing it, but there's a very significant job in managing it. Yeah. And it could be quite time consuming and and mentally taxing depending on the situation. And I think that's why, yeah, having those conversations and getting, maybe getting some buy-in and having everybody on the same page and understanding where, you know, where mom and dad's at and what they want is super important. And so the other kind of piece of the puzzle, if you've gotten that far down the road, is talking about how much I should expect to need to pay for care. How much does care cost? And Kurt and I have some information and statistics on that just as a baseline. If you wanted to start planning, what if I needed four years of, I'm a typical woman, by the time I'm 80, I'm going to eventually need four years of care. Maybe a year of it is at home. Maybe two years of it is assisted living. And the last year is in nursing home, in a nursing home, which is typically the progression, by the way. You don't need a ton at the beginning, but you need, usually need a lot of care 
at the end. So cost of care, these numbers are shocking, but we want to share them with you. There's a lot of data that's tracked all the time about this by the federal government, by Medicare, by Medicaid, by the insurance companies, by everyone. And it's consistent information and it's very reliable. So Massachusetts, scary numbers. Nursing homes today in Massachusetts for a semi-private room on average are close to $160,000 a year. For a private room, 170000 a year. So that's just, a shocking number. I was just doing the math. Yeah, so for the semi-private room, about 160000 a year. So that's about, it's about $13,000 a month. Just to put right. it into monthly terms. Yeah. And again, I point out to my clients, you'll appreciate this, Kirk, that if you are actually paying for that out of pocket, that's after-tax money. You right. have to liquidate some savings, pay taxes on those savings, and then pay the bill. So our... Do these types, I don't know if you know the answer to this, do these types of costs, are they tax deductible, being that they're medically related or not? Do you know the answer to that? I actually, I'm not going to give a black and white answer. Okay. I Maybe in the break, I'm going to check my notes okay. on that. That's okay. I started with the worst news. There's different levels of care, and most people start with home care. Home health aides right now, if you go through an agency, are 25 to $30 an hour. So if you are having someone come into your home, typically it's for anywhere from four to eight hours a day. People don't usually have people 24 hours a day. On average, people are spending for that kind of care a year, having someone come in, let's say six hours to help you with all the things you need help with. They're spending about $75,000 a year on that. Right. There's also great facilities that are starting to emerge and we need many more of them called adult daycare centers they really are daycare centers just we have for kids where seniors are picked up in a van they go to a senior center an adult daycare center they spend the day there with other folks that need some sort of help and they go home at night and those average only about twenty thousand dollars a year it's group i hate to use the word daycare but that's what it is. You have the circle have, of life there, Brenda. Yeah, you have yeah, one. And yeah. who wants to sit at home alone when yeah. you're... So it's a great option. We need many more of them. There's not enough of them now. There's a few on the South Shore. They usually have two to three-year waiting lists. Really? And you need to be at a certain level of ability to be there. If you're in very end-stage Alzheimer's, it's not a place that can help you. They don't have that level of care. And then somewhere in between all that is assisted living. People might be familiar with that term. Assisted living facilities. You have a little apartment. You have a little. You have your own living space, and you have a little bit of help. You might have meals, kind of group things, but it's not l- nursing home care. Those are about eighty thousand dollars a year. So I just yeah, I just yeah. So that one's about we're getting close to seven thousand a month. Yeah. For that, yeah. if you want to think about it in monthly terms, these are all. So These it, are all big numbers. They're all big numbers. In, so that's Massachusetts. Kirk asked me to pull some numbers for Florida. There's yep. a lot of people here who have second homes in Florida, might have primary residences. Massachusetts is one of the most expensive places, as you can imagine, for everything, for housing costs and for long-term care. Mm-hmm. Florida's lower. If you went to the Midwest, to a Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere in the Midwest, it's lower there. But Kirk, so the Florida numbers, how do they compare to this? Well, yeah, so you had the Florida here, so... Let's see, so for the home 
aid. We talked about 75000 a year for Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your numbers here for Florida are about 57000 That's a big difference. That's definitely a spread there. Yeah. Uh, definitely a spread. The daycare was about the same. The assisted living, though, is close to half almost. I mean, it's 81000 you had in, in Massachusetts. And what is it in Florida? 48000 Wow. So uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's very, yeah, very considerable. And that... And that might come into somebody's plans. They might, maybe they're already planning on moving to Florida or they want to move to Florida as they retire and get older. And that's, so that is a significant financial difference as far as the planning goes. Absolutely. And it's, oftentimes seniors will move closer to where their kids live. So if your kids live in the Midwest, that's not, it's definitely going to be cheaper there. Let's see. So then the last one was like what a semi-private room in a nursing home. So on the, on Massachusetts, it was 157,000. A year, which we said was is about thirteen thousand a month, and then in Florida, that's one hundred and four thousand a year, which is about eighty six hundred. That's a big difference. A it's, still a hu- it's still a huge it's number, huge. but it's a huge dif- difference. Yes, the, it, what is the, that? Thirty percent higher? Uh, or something? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, thirty, forty percent. Yeah, it's a big difference. A big difference. Well, I have heard financial planners try to calculate for people, and I do this too. So, what are the averages? What do I need to plan for? What What might I either insure for or put aside in my portfolio? You ne- you have no idea what you're really going to need. Maybe nothing. Maybe Alzheimer's is an 8 to 11 year range with a lot of it needing care. So huge range, but averages. If you were planning on a year of care at home, two years in an assisted living and maybe a half a year to a year in a nursing home, you could put a number to that. And that, so it sounds like you said earlier, that's a, that's a pretty typical progression. So that might be a scenario that could be replicated as far as something that might could happen. Yeah, it's a typical scenario, and it's also a good way to identify covering a lot of risk. You might not try to figure out what's going to happen to you, but the approach might be, how can I design something that's going to cover an enormous amount of risk without costing too much? I might need less, I might need more, but the bulk of it is going to be covered, so I'm not going to decimate my savings. So we had, we had these numbers here, Bernadette, for these, and these numbers were for 2021, 2021. Yeah, typical inflation. It's yep, been, that's where, it, I, that's where yeah, I was going, yep. Yeah, it's been, it's been at 3 to 5%. We know what general inflation is now, but it's been running, increasing at 3 to 5% for probably an average of 10 years. Okay, so if you're, yeah. so for, yeah, so for example, let's say you're meeting with somebody today that's 60 years old and they're making a plan and talking about the insurance and what is co- what is it going to cost by the time I get there, which is what... And again, averages. So people start needing it at ages early 70s for men, late 70s for women. So there are averages there too. What age would, might I, on average, start needing care? I have to Certainly can put some numbers to that. Yeah, yeah, and we have to put numbers to that. That's part of, that's part of the deal, Brenda, that when we do our show, we always have to have some math. Uh, yeah. So I was pulling out my... But again, I, my approach is to be, you're never going to know reality. So just cover a really rational size of the risk. All right. But just for, just, okay. and again, okay. it, and this is extreme or whatever, but just, but so I'm going to use, I'm going to use the big, yeah, let's use this. We'll use the semi-private room in Massachusetts today or in 2021. Uh, so, so it was, was $158,000 yeah. for the year. So 158000 that's in today's dollars. So let's say 20 years from now. Okay, 20 years into the future. And you said 3 to 5%. Yep. So, maybe, so how about I use 4? Four? 4. 4% interest or inflation per year. All right, so what's the future value? 
346,000. Yeah, and that's that's reality. Honestly, when my mother was in a nursing home, it was 70,000 a year. That was a while ago. And it sounded like a big number at the time. It was huge. Yep. And yeah, so I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I will tell you so that you're not too scared off by that. Your portfolio should be growing to match that. If you're just going to self-fund this, you're... If you have a chunk of your portfolio set aside to pay for care, it should be growing to meet that need. If, if, yeah, if you have a special a piece that's allocated yeah. for... And yeah. some people yeah. are approaching it like that now, like a, saving for college. Well, I'm putting aside X amount or I'm putting a big pool aside and I'm expecting it to grow X amount and that's going to cover the cost. That is that is a very rational and sane approach. And I'll also tell you that with long-term care types of insurance, whether it's a life insurance policy with long-term care attached or straight-up long-term care... They offer that you get inflation protection on those, which means the policy values grow 3 to 5% a year. I have never written a policy for a client that didn't do that because I almost insist upon it. That, you know, It's not rational to buy something today that's going to pay in today's dollars if you're not going to need it for 20 years. It's, yeah. So you can address the inflation issue. It shouldn't be too scary. If you're planning, yeah. you can address inflation and it'll work out. That's right. As long as you understand what it is and make a plan for addressing it, then that's exactly you know, that's, exactly that's, that's the best you can do. And Kirk, your yeah, your portfolio needs to grow, and or you need to have insurance that has an inflation factor on it that's going to grow your pool of money. So one of you know one of the things that we do is if we have a financial plan for a client and. We talk. We have this conversation about long-term care or the potential need, and they say, I don't know that I want to buy insurance. I'm not sure about that. And we'll say, okay, we'll pretend like you don't have insurance, and we'll do the exercise we just did where we said, okay, it's $157,000 a year today. And based on averages, let's say maybe you need three years of that at age 80 or whatever it is, and we inflate it, and then we show them, put them, we add that as a future expense in their, port, in their cash flow and show them what it looks like. Yeah. And does this does this blow up your plan, or yeah. or do you still have money left, or not? And that can be quite eye opening. Yeah, mm-hmm. and some people say yes. I, I have enough savings that if I end up needing, I, I'm just making up numbers at this. I may need if I need four hundred thousand dollars for long term care, I'm okay with that because this is what the rest of the portfolio looks like. And or the other end of the spectrum, I've got so little, I'm going to. Uh, qualify for Medicaid. I don't need to really worry about it. It's the people in the middle that have that don't have 10 million in savings that need to protect assets in some way or have a plan. Yep. Those are yeah, it's you can yeah, you either have so much money that you can self-insure or so little that you're going to rely on Medicaid, Medicaid and there's everybody in the middle and those are the folks we're talking to today. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. All right, so you're listening to McNamara on Money, Bernadette Faulkner talking about long-term care insurance. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. 